Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Well, there's been a lot of intrigue and a lot of interest in the Pac 12 footprint. Uh, as it pertains to the media rights deal, possible expansion, all that stuff we have talked over and over about. Uh, A podcaster in uh, Arizona, Speak of the Devils podcast, it's the Arizona State Football Podcast. Uh, Brad Denny is the host of this podcast. Uh, Had Ray Anderson, the Arizona State AD, on as a guest. Uh, Here was Ray Anderson talking about Arizona State on that podcast. Have there been any discussions, you know, internally that, you know, if things you know, with the Pac-12's long-term viability don't necessarily shake out in, in a positive way, that you know, looking at whether uh, other prospective conference homes for Arizona State athletics, we don't have that discussion internally because uh, we are a solid, uh, uh, important member of the Pac-12, uh, uh, Pac-10, Pac-12, uh, and very frankly, and have no discussions. Uh, about other conferences. Uh, the only discussions we might have is what other conferences uh, are trying to have some of their members come to our conference. Uh, obviously, we talked about San Diego State, and SMU, and some others, so that is uh, uh, clear in those comments. But no, we've had no internal discussions about ASU going anywhere else because uh, that's, very frankly, no desire. No desire, says Ray Anderson. Brad Denny. Uh, works at CBS 5 in Arizona. Also, as I mentioned, hosts Speak of the Devils podcast. Brad is joining us now. Hey, you guys did a great job on that, getting Ray Anderson. Was it difficult to get him, or how do you, how'd you lock him down? Actually, ASU has been really great with the media. We have a, a tremendous amount of access. This is actually the uh, sixth year that I've sat down with Ray for kind of a about this time of the year. I like to you know, get his thoughts on kind of the year that was in Sun Devil Athletics and you know, talk about some big, some uh, you know, uh, Pac-12 issues, some big picture type stuff. Um, he's always been really accessible. And so uh, this is our, our longest conversation over an hour. We, and obviously it's a very crucial time for Arizona State uh, athletics as a whole, but of course, you know, the conference issues and kind of the, just the changing landscape of uh, college sports in general. So there was a, there's a lot to, to chop up with, uh, with Ray. So uh, ASU said does a really good job. It's very uh, accommodating with us in the media. Yeah. You know, look, I thought he was strong. He was pretty clear on the idea that, Arizona State, um, you know, is not looking to go elsewhere. Has that been, you know, I know from the Big 12 footprint, there's been a lot of scuttlebutt about that, but that has that been a topic in your local market, you know, uncertainty around ASU or or not? Uh, from the ASU side of things, uh, you know, everything I've heard is that, you know, they're very, still committed to, you know, being in the, in the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever form that takes out. But one thing that's really interesting is the the fan base is really kind of just over, all the Pac-12 drama, you know, they, they call it ASU out here, always something university. And it seems like the, the conference might be taking a little bit of, uh, of that dramatic feel, of course, with everything going on. Uh, and so just in terms of with, you know, the, the Larry Scott tenure and all the fallout there and just, you know, the uncertain future now that this conference has, the widening gap, you know, the, the possibility of a kind of a power two group of eight structure in terms of uh, the national landscape. A lot of uh, folks out here in Arizona are almost kind of looking for anything uh, other than uh, the Pac-10, Pac-12, uh, for you know wherever ASU ultimately lines up. Although I do still think that ASU's uh, best place is uh, with the the conference, and it seems that you know from what I'm hearing from you know, my conversations with Ray and other people within the athletic department, that 
uh, you know, that they're committed to the to remaining in this conference in whatever uh, form it takes, and that they they expect it to be, especially in the era of the extended, expanded playoffs, and probably their best bet. You know, Arizona State undergoing a coaching change in football, and uh, Herm Edwards, who I loved having on the show, I, I great interview, fun to talk with. But you know, it it just it wasn't getting done with the results. What was what do you think the downfall of the Herm Edwards era was, or maybe how do you how do you explain what happened in that era? Uh, I think it's kind of twofold. Uh, obviously, you have the NCAA investigation because you go back to the off season, uh, into the 2021 season. ASU had, uh, had a few strong years of recruiting. The kind of the trend line was going slowly but surely going up. Uh, early in his tenure, Herm and his staff played a lot of freshmen. So heading into that 2021 season, you had arguably the program's most talented roster since the 96 Rose Bowl season. Uh, and then, of course, that summer, the news of the investigation breaks. We're recruiting just absolutely screeches to a halt. Coaches are dismissed. That season you know, was an eight-win season, which is good historically by ASU standards, well short of uh, where the program and the fan base and the community in general really hoped for and just really – wasn't able to win kind of uh, the, the hearts and minds over there. A lot of, uh, I think that was kind of a point of no return. But also, and this is something that Ray, uh, I was kind of surprised by his candor in the interview, just knowing how close he was with Herm, is, is that he laid out that pretty succinctly that this is, was a head coach and a staff that just could not really adapt to the kind of the, the, mod, the changing landscape of the sport. NAL, the transfer portal. Uh, the, you know, adapting to those, you know, obviously the self-inflicted wounds of the investigation and, and those allegations, but just not being able to kind of keep up and the talent level just kind of dropped off, uh, off, off the table. So uh, just, you know, not being it. And that's why, you know, they target a guy like Kenny Dillingham, somebody younger, brought some energy and some juice into this program. But when you kind of do the postmortem on, on the Herm Edwards era and just why after a few promising seasons, it all came crashing down. I think you just look for the inability to adapt and just, you know, I don't want to say necessarily that the game had passed them by, but in terms of what the college game was had become and was becoming, it just wasn't a great fit anymore. We're talking to Brad Denny, who covers Arizona State football for CBS 5 right there in Arizona. Also, uh, he is the host of Speak of the Devils podcast. Kenny Dillingham comes in, very different, big correction, different personality. Um, you know, ball of energy at the uh, introductory news conference. Um, you know, early returns on Dillingham. Very positive. Now, granted, this all comes with the, the, the obvious caveat that he hasn't won a game here. But in terms of just these six months that he's been able to, what he's been able to do, uh, I think you, you got to give him like if you get a letter grade like an A. I mean, he's put together a pretty impressive staff. A lot of youth, a lot of uh, 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 the recruiting has really kind of turned around. They just landed a four-star defensive back yesterday. They landed a couple of blue chippers to close out 23 on a, on a really good start in the 24 and 25 classes. Uh, you know, the, he's over, overhauled the roster, over 40, uh, 45, I believe, newcomers in terms of the transfer portal uh, and, and a lot of talent there. I think you have coaches that have more aggressive philosophies and schemes, and the players have really uh, embraced that. But I think the, the number one most crucial thing that he's been able to do early on is kind of ward off the apathy that was really starting to set in uh, with the Sun Devil fan base, the community in general, just so that, you know, as mentioned, the, the last couple of years around this program has been really dire and you just, you know, it's, you know, worse when people just are, you know, not liking the things are, what, uh, that are happening, but they just don't care what, what happened. And that, that was a real danger that you know, there's a lot of fans that are just kind of really kind of tuned out. Um, there was a lot of you know, vocal contingent. It's like, you're not getting another dollar from me until Herm is gone. Uh, and so just now bringing in a, a, an ASU alum, a guy with ties to the community that 
you know, you can see, you mentioned the introductory press conference. I mean, it was half a sentence in and he has tears in his eyes because it just means so much to him. Now, granted, that will that ultimately win, win games and, and get ASU to a Rose Bowl or something uh, to, to be determined. But in terms of just kind of, you know, shifting that narrative, you know, stopping the bleeding of, of that, that, that fan interest. And, you know, really kind of uh, there has been a palpable buzz uh, here in the community. Uh, you know, the, the spring game turnout wasn't necessarily what uh, he was hoping for. But I don't think, you know, with, that was the same day as the pass run. I think there's some factors there. Ultimately, though, there is for the first time probably about two and a half seasons or two and a half years or so, there's actually some excitement about a Sun Devil football season. Yeah, and I think, you know, sometimes it takes winning games, but sometimes it's just a change in energy and the fan base gets on board. Spring game wasn't a great turnout, but help me out here. The You know, the, the Pat Tillman run was that morning. It ends around, you know, maybe 10 a.m. for most people. The spring game doesn't start till noon. Uh, I think it was a little bit of a logistical problem there that resulted in a poor turnout. But do, do you think that was more about apathy or more about, hey, you're asking too much of 30,000 people to stick around for a couple hours? I think, yeah, the, the timing. I, I, I do like that they they, they tried it out um, and just kind of, kind of com, trying to combine both events. I do think that, you know, they, they learned some valuable lessons that there was, you know, a couple hours uh, gap. And, of course, being in Arizona about that time of year, it, it's a little warm. So, you know, I think, you know, perhaps if they had it on kind of a standalone day in the evening when, you know, the spring evenings in Arizona hard top. So if they're able to do that, plus I think, you know, just kind of there might be still, you know, a good segment of the fan base out there. There's been a little bit of wait and see mode that, you know, they do like that the direction of the program that, they're you know, it's not necessarily kind of a retread coach like ASU has gone with the last couple of hires. But still, you know, just waiting to see that, you know, what is actually going to, is this going to be a team that's going to be worth my money? Can they win me back after, you know, being hurt uh, over uh, the last couple of seasons? Uh, so we'll see what they do. I, I do think that, you know, there, there was some disappointment from Kenny. That was that was pretty evident. But I do like that they were trying some stuff. And that's we have seen that in terms of just various uh, community outreach. And, and, you know, Kenny and his staff in the colony activate the Valley in terms of trying to rally the fan base, business leaders, get them going on the NIL front especially. And just kind of, you know, it's a multifaceted uh, approach that they're trying. And, you know, that after a couple of years of just a, a staff and a program that really was kind of, you know, the complacency had pretty well set in. This is a, a staff that's aggressive, that's trying things, and if it doesn't work, they're going to learn their lessons. Uh, so ultimately, I think it's going to be a process, but I think, you know, next year we'll see, uh, you know, a, a better turnout and a better situation. Yeah, and, you know, I think it, it's going to be interesting to see Dillingham because, you know, there were some splashier hires than Kalen DeBoer last year but DeBoer won more games than Dan Lanning and was right there with Lincoln Riley in the end like you know sneaky good hire I'm curious to see if Dillingham will be able to put that together can you talk maybe a little bit about the you know the Arizona State gets this sleeping giant uh you know sort of uh, label that gets put on the program and and everybody always goes gosh they should be so good with the population base and proximity to LA and good weather and um, what holds Arizona State back themselves i mean yeah they've there's been so many self-inflicted errors and turn on, on many fronts that was actually one question I've, i asked ray during the podcast is just that it's been about six academic years since you know kind of the three high high profile sports of football men's basketball or baseball had finished a season ranked in the top 25 and, and asked me you know, with asu stature power five program the location the things that you mentioned that's working in their favor all the resources you know how how is that possible uh, and so that's, that's kind of the million-dollar question that, that's been plaguing this program uh, for decades at this point because you have everything in place uh, to make a run. Now, I think, you know, with 
the expanded playoff, ASU's path to getting to that postseason, getting to that next level, if they find the right coach, is uh, is better than it has ever been. And so I do think that there's been a lot of just bad decision making in terms of, uh, you know, the, the coaching hires and some of the administrative decisions. I think one thing that'll be very interesting to track, and another question I asked Ray, is the level of support from the university for athletics. Uh, one of the things that Ray did mention is that he feels that the Pac-12 needs to place a an even greater emphasis on football in order to raise the profile and kind of help uh, the conference, you know, close that gap between some of the other conferences out there. And I think, you know, ASU needs to be near the forefront of that. Obviously, Oregon and Washington are kind of the name brands that you're going to have left here uh, starting next season. But I think ASU is well positioned if they make that investment. And I think that they have the the right man in place uh, as the the football head coach if they can just kind of finally get uh, out of their own way and just, you know, put the necessary resources there, let Kenny cook. And, you know, they hopefully were able to, you know, get that, that, that giant who's been you know snoozing for 30, 40 years at this point uh, to finally wake up. Yeah. You've got in your market, you've got the NFL, you've got the NHL, you know, you have major league baseball, you've got, you know, call major college, you got basketball, football, where does Arizona state football rank right now in your mind? Uh, sort of on the hierarchy of sports in that market? I think first and for, foremost, this is a Phoenix Suns town. I mean, when, uh, I mean it, overall, the Phoenix market with so many transplants and, and just, you know, so much of the population born elsewhere, it's kind of a front-runner town. I mean, if a team gets hot, they'll get some, some, some uh, support. Uh, but I think, you know, first and foremost, the Suns, you know, it's being the long, by far the longest tenure professional franchise here are right there. And now along with that, I think ASU has a special place just with the huge alumni base and just, uh, you know, having, you know, been established so many decades before, um, you know, the, the NFL, NHL, and or Major League Baseball arrived. So I think if they're able to finally get some consistency instead of, you know, where it gets to a point where eight wins is not a, oh, this is a really great season, it's a minimum expectation. I think, you know, like I just remember, you know, I was uh, in high school when, Jake Plummer led the 96 team to, to the Rose Bowl, and just the, the way that that team was able to kind of capture the collective hearts and minds of the Valley uh, was really something that I had only been um, kind of eclipsed by what the Suns have been able to do. Even, even the Cardinals Super Bowl run in 2008, I mean, I, I don't think met that level of what ASU was able to do uh, when they made their Rose Bowl run. So, um, you know, this is kind of just kind of a, a town that ultimately kind of will go to, you know, whatever team is playing hot, but, you know, the deeper roots, you know, I think were with, the, were with the Suns and ASU. So if they can finally get to a point where they have consistency, where we, you know, back to think back to 2013-14 when they had those back-to-back 10-win seasons, you, you kind of felt like, okay, here we go. This might be something special, but obviously weren't wasn't able to sustain that. I think if they are though, and if Kenny does get the resources resources that he needs, then I think that this could be a, a town that's you know full of maroon gold. There is uh, obvious uh, a question out there with Ray Anderson involved. You know, Herm Edwards was his hire, didn't work out. There have been some other issues. It, does he need Kenny Dillingham to be successful to keep his own job, the AD there? I think it's going to be very crucial. Uh, I mean, the ASU has had some you know, great success in other sports, which is great. You know, the men's golf program, the men's swim and dive, uh, you know, others, you know, the, the, being able to launch a Division One hockey program has been great, but ultimately, as we all know, you know, it's how you are in those revenue sports, especially football, that's going to tell the tale of how successful and healthy your athletic department ultimately is. And I asked the last question in the podcast with Ray is like, what, what was one regret that you've had? 
and what other lesson that you took away from that? And he says, I've, you know, the regret is not being able to fix football. He mentioned that, you know, he came in, inherited a guy that he did not hire, but, you know, he had five years with a guy that he did hire, a close friend that was, you know, outside-the-box type of approach. That didn't work and kind of, you know, has put set the program back, and, and Kenny's had to kind of dig out of that hole, and we don't know what the, you know, ultimate NCAA sanctions are. But he staked a lot on this, this hire, and I think this is a, a position where ASU is, made a good hire and checks a lot of the boxes and has positioned themselves well for the future. So I think that the, you know, the, the, the potential is there for things to, you know, to, for this fight, you know, the last couple of year valleys for ASU to get out of that and thrive and start to climb up that mountain where, you know, where uh, these fans have long suffered and, you know, waited for decades to get back to that, to that Rose Bowl type level. Uh, so I think that there's going to be a lot riding on, on this situation of, you know, how well, this Kenny Dillingham activate the Valley era ultimately goes over the next few years. Brad, who starts game one at quarterback for Arizona State? I think Trenton Borgay. He looked uh, the, the best in terms of the spring practice performance. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, while his, his tangibles, is, you know, he's not going to wow with the height, weight, or the arm strength, but his football IQ is really off the charts. You saw what he was able to do near the end of last year, and uh, I, his rapport with the, the weapons, in spring, you know, Jalen Conyers should be one of the, the very best tight ends in the conference. Elijah Badger should be one of the very best wide receivers in the conference. The, they brought in a lot of very intriguing weapons uh, over the, in the transfer portal that looked really good in spring. Xavier Gillies is a name that I think a lot of folks are going to need to, to watch. And uh, in, in this offense, um, there's obviously a lot of questions about the offensive line, but there's, this offense is just the quarterback has to play point guard, has to make just be smart, make good decisions, and get it out to your playmakers as fast as possible. Trenton Borgay has done really well in that that uh, that regard. It's a fascinating story. He came in here as a fifth-string quarterback, just guy who wanted to you know, was primed for the scout team and just wanted to prep for his career as a, as a coach. But ultimately, just continued to work, work, and uh, and really impressed coaches and got his chance. And we were able to see a little bit of what he was able to do last year. So I think that uh, you know he's the front runner as of now. Jaden Rashad is obviously a name that a lot of folks nationally are going to uh, want to keep tabs on. This staff throughout spring was really kind of moving him and progressing him along slowly. I think they have the kind of confidence in what they have in Borgay. But, you know, Rashad is obviously the future. But I think, uh, you know, when they open up against Southern Utah, you'll see Borgay take that first snap. All right. Brad Denny, uh, you do you do a nice job with the podcast. I, I encourage people to check it out if you are interested in Pac-12 sports or you need a primer on Arizona State. Uh, the the Speak of the Devils podcast. Brad's on Twitter as well, at BDenny29. Brad, thank you for your time, man. Good stuff. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate All it. All right. There, there he is, Kenny Dillingham. Uh, Steven, we're going to talk about the Pac-12. Best football stadium in the Pac-12. Hold your answer. Hold your answer. Also, how successful can Arizona State be in year one? Can Washington State win 10, 11, or 12 games next season? What are the what are the expectations at Oregon and Oregon State? We'll kick it around next. You got the BFT statewide. Did I tell you, Stephen, this week I'm doing it all? Did I tell you that yet? I, I don't think I have. Uh, I just assume you're doing it all still. <laughs> all right. Yeah. What do I mean by doing it all? Um, okay, so uh, listeners may have noted yesterday on the show that Anna did not do the five at five. She was not available because she was out of the country yesterday. And she's out of the country, almost on no notice. Um, for people who follow her on social media, you may have noted that about uh, 10 or 12 days ago, her stepmother, who lives in Taiwan with her father, passed away. 
and her dad's in his 70s, and he, his head was spinning a little bit. I think that's the best way to put it, understandably so. Um, and so Anna was worried about him, and she, uh, on no notice, uh, had to fly to Seattle on Tuesday to uh, get an expedited passport at the passport office in Seattle. So talk about booking a flight on no notice. You know you're going to, it's going to be a painful uh, flight. But she needed to go to Seattle on Tuesday morning. So she flew to Seattle. She uh, had an appointment at the passport office. She got her passport expedited. And then she stayed in Seattle uh, all day and caught a uh, essentially a red eye from Seattle to Taipei, Taiwan, that uh, took her... Um, essentially 12, 13-hour flight, and then she got on a bus, and then she got on a train, and she finally on, uh, say, what, today is uh, Thursday? So yesterday at about 5 o'clock, late in our show yesterday, I got a, a picture that she texted where she had finally reached her father, and so she was happy about that. She's spending some time with him uh, there. She's trying to convince him to... Uh, to come back to the state of Oregon and live here uh, because she's worried about him. And But we all know you can't make your parents do what you want them to do uh, ultimately, so we'll see how that works out. But what I mean by I'm doing it all, um, you know, it starts for me at oh dark 30. Uh, it's breakfast for the kids. It's lunches. It's out the door. It's to school. Do you have your backpack? Do you have your water bottle? Do you have your homework? Do you, Are you wearing your glasses? Uh, are you wearing uh, clothes that are too warm for an 89-degree day? Or, you know, then it's column radio show. Um, and you know, what the, you know who's really suffering is the dog that Anna takes to the dog park? I, I got no time for the dog right now. And so uh, uh, shout out to all the moms and dads who are getting their kids up and are getting them out the door and are making sure they're brushing their teeth. And I'm checking the toothbrushes, make sure they're wet. You know, did you brush your teeth? Uh, you know, let me let me check the toothbrush, uh, doing all that stuff that Anna's normally doing in the background. So I'm doing it all, and uh, Anna's having me book a flight for her dad to come back, but um, she says I may have you cancel it in the next five or six hours, depending on what he says. So we'll see how that goes. But, man, I don't know what your mornings are like in your household. It's a bit of a scramble over here right now. Yeah, uh, I know what you mean. I, uh, my wife, you know, teacher, coach, she's yeah. out the door by 7 a.m. So, you know, that's about the time I got to get up and I got to make sure uh, the boys get to eat. Because my son, eight years old, second grade, he he has to be at school by 7.45. So, uh, you know, between 7.30, 7.45, they open the doors and get in there. So got to get them ready. Then you got the youngest one. He's in preschool for a couple days a week. Got to get him going. Uh, you know, nine o'clock ish. So you're doing this? Yeah, I'm doing this every day. So I, I, I feel your Ooh. pain. It's a, it's a scramble every day, and sometimes you know the kids just don't want to get ready, and you gotta say, you know what? Let's get dressed. Let's get ready. We step into what is high the gear. biggest? What's the biggest hassle in the process for you? Uh, for me, the youngest one, he likes to just sleep in his underwear a lot, and then it's hard to put clothes on him. Like I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, I I guess I could just put him in the car when I drop the oldest one off at yeah. school, but I just I don't know. I feel like that's a little weird. So I got to get clothes on him, and he just like, oh, I'm so comfortable. That yeah. that's the hardest part for sure. Is the youngest one not even going to school? It's like just getting him in the car and put clothes on. That's that's tough. Uh, that's a fascinating because I think the young ones, uh, you know, I can vouch for that. The youngest one is a little feistier. 
they're they're scrappers. The youngest in their family. Yeah, so, and they'll fight yeah. for it. That's the thing. If they're strong enough, their will they will not give in. So you really got to convince them or just force them to do it. I felt bad for Anna because she arrives. She, okay, so she she leaves Seattle on a flight that left at one fifty in the morning, on Wednesday morning. Okay, so basically late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning, she she leaves Seattle, one fifty in the morning. She arrives in Taiwan at five a.m. local time in Taiwan. So she slept on the plane, but you know how sleeping on a plane is. You're not really sleeping, and now she, then she's facing you know her day in Taiwan. And so last night she messaged like, you know, I don't really know what my body doesn't know what time it is. Uh, and then I just spoke with her right before the show. She called me and I said, what time is it there? She says five o'clock in the morning. I said, okay, way to go. You made it 24 hours uh, in Taiwan. I'd love to go to Taiwan. I'd love to check it out, but somebody's got to run the ship over here. These kids are not going to dress themselves and get ready. And, and the refrain I keep going to, I don't know if you do this. I keep saying, cause Anna, before she left, she had a huddle with the girls and she told them, hey, um, I really need you to help Dad. He's going to need your help. And so uh, anytime they're difficult, I go, hey, man, what did your mom say right before you left? You, you know, you, you always got to put the blame on mom. Not that it's a blame, but, you know, you got to <laughs> make them think, hey, mom's still watching you, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, mom's watching you. But, the, you know, given the technology, it's not like mom doesn't have communication. Like, you know, she emailed me, she texted me, she sent me a bunch of photos and stuff, but I'm like, hey, man, we're doing bath time. We're doing bath time over here. I don't have time for that. Um, all right, big splash. Let's, let's, ch- let's jam it in. We got one for you today. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. You may remember a cyber attack that related to fantasy sports and betting that happened this past fall that it, it impacted about 60,000 people. Well, there was an indictment today unsealed in the Southern District of New York. An 18-year-old Wisconsin man has been charged with cyber crimes and for perpetuating a cyber attack on fantasy sports. He's charged in this. The sentence carries a maximum of 20 years in prison if he's convicted. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.